This episode is brought to you by McDonald's. Not sure you've heard of them. <laughs> Up and coming uh, little restaurant, but they're making it. They're the little engine that could. You know, the moment of bliss when you spot your fries being scooped into the carton and suddenly time slows down. I have that all the time. I love their fries. Oh, yeah. yes. McDonald's fries hit different when they're free. That's another thing I'll tell you. And when they belong to your friends, there's no better feeling than thinking you're out of fries and then you discover extra fries at the bottom of your bag or else my son still hasn't finished his fries yeah. and I'm done with mine. And uh, he used to be weaker than me so I could just take them. Yeah. Now I can't because he's stronger than me. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's no wrong way to eat McDonald's fries, but we all think our way is the best way. And I like stealing them from someone else. That's my favorite <laughs> way. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. McDonald's, check them out sometime. They're everywhere. From your morning podcast to your afternoon playlist, you know you personalize your entire day. That's why State Farm helps you personalize your insurance with the State Farm Personal Price Plan. That's a lot of bees. Yeah. It offers coverage options that help protect what you care about most at an affordable price just for you. That's important. You want an affordable price. Yeah, I do want one. Yeah, if it's too much, well, that's just not going to happen. No. <laughs> State Farm's on it. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices vary by state. I'm lowering my voice. Mm, Options selected by customer. Availability and eligibility may vary. Uh, hi, my name is Sam Richardson. And I feel honored and obligated about being <laughs> Conan O'Brien's friend. Well, hold on. Wait a minute. When did I suddenly become jury duty? <laughs> Fall is here. Hear the yell. Back to school. Ring the bell. Brand new shoes. Walking blues. Climb the fence. Books and pens. I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Yes, I can tell that we are gonna be friends. Hello there, and welcome to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend. Uh, we are now in the third season mm -hmm. of uh, this podcast. Started out kind of a lark, and it has grown into, I think we're bigger than Texaco now. Mm, yeah. No. Yes, we are in a large oil-producing company. <laughs> we are a petroleum company. We have massive holdings all across the world. No. I think we're publicly traded. Uh, we are a blue-chip stock it's wonderful what's happened to this podcast. None of that is true. I'm joined, as always, uh, by uh, my assistant, Sonam Obsessian. Hi. Whose job seems to be just to tell me, no, no, that's not true. You're wrong. Why can't yeah. I have my little fantasies? I can fantasize. Okay, that, if you that, want to be an oil baron. Well, who doesn't? There's a lot of money in that stuff. I don't want to do that. All right. And, uh, of course, Matt Gorley joining us. Matt? Yeah, I like this idea that we're just this big oil conglomerate. We're big podcasts. Yes, yes. We're, we crush smaller podcasts. Um, sometimes Greenpeace takes boats out. Occasionally I record, uh, on a big trawler mm. and Greenpeace <laughs> sends boats out and, um, they, they like try and interfere with my podcast. Yeah. But, uh, I just crush their boat with my giant podcast boat. PETA spray paints your microphone windscreen. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't even know about it. I'm in a, I live in like a tall black tower and yeah. I sit in there and I just, I, I look out the window and I see demonstrations in the distance, but it's all nothing to me. I just like, look at those little ants. Yeah. And they, and they come in and say, sir, the podcast 
the podcast just made eight billion dollars. Mm-hmm. And I say, burn it. Oh, okay. <laughs> burn it. We're, we're running out of places to put the money. That's a nice fantasy. No, that's not my fantasy at all. Okay. It's a weird thing to say. No, I don't do this for financial gain. I do this because I love connecting with people. Yeah. I, that's true. That, that part you is- You thought yeah. I was being silly, but yeah. I, I don't. I really like doing this. Uh, enjoy it. I, I think we're a, we're a nice little group. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got Matt- is very different from you, Sona. Do yeah. you know what I mean? You know the way that Tin Man's different than the Scarecrow and the Scarecrow's different from the Cowardly Lion? They're all very different characters. Mm-hmm. Who are we here? I know. Which one? Who's who's who? Well, I'm Dorothy. Okay. Uh, and I'm also Toto. Oh, you're the dog too. Yeah, Toto's my ego. Mm. Who runs rampant. Sona, you're too inactive to be the... You're the tin man when he's rusted. Oh, before you know, the oil. Before the oil. You're just, you're very, you're sitting still. I ask you to do things and you go, can't need oil. Uh-huh. And um, I think you've got a little bit of a scarecrow about you, Gorley, don't you think? I think I think that's pretty accurate. He was always my favorite, yeah. so I'll take that. Yeah. yeah. No, I take that back. Flying monkey. Oh. <laughs> oh huh. you're, you're a flying monkey. No, but oh. you were very eager to please. I say, make that edit. And you go, ka, ka, you fly away. You chose two people who were barely in it. The rest of Tin Man is there for a minute. Yeah. And then he's, you know, oiled and normal. Right, you're not oiled. So I'm not man. oiled. And then the flying monkey's only in it for a little bit. So. No, they're in it a couple times. Oh, okay. I think I'm Dorothy and I'm Toto. I'm also the witch. Yes. Yeah, because if I'm the flying monkey doing your bidding, you're definitely. Yes. The no, witch. I, what I'm saying is my. Uh, this may sound pretentious. Maybe I shouldn't say it. Well, I guess I have to now. I think. <laughs> My personality is so complex. Uh, I, I, I think I embody so many different worlds, so many different possibilities, so many different dimensions that I, I'm not just one character. Mm. You're, you're Thanos. Yes. In a way, I am. I'll take that. I don't care. If I'm Thanos, I'm Thanos. Well, Doesn't Thanos end up kicking ass? Then I'm Thanos. Which Avengers are Matt and I then? You're going to probably say, oh, that one character that was in that one scene. I don't know the Avengers that well, I have to say. They made too many of them. They also broke my (laughs) cardinal rule, which is I don't like uh, portals in the sky. I'm I'm against portals. (laughs) What a specific rule. I don't like portals. Why did you have that rule? That's my rule. (laughs) What a hill to die on. But listen to me. No space portals. Here's what I hate about portals. And you're going to agree with me once I explain it. They set up some rules and, you know, all screenplays need rules, right? And then what happens is the screenwriters always get frustrated at some point and they just want to use as much CGI and cool stuff as possible. Mm. So what they always do is they have some interesting plot and they got to be clever, and but then they get tired. They get tired yeah. and it's time for that third act and the studio's waiting. So they go, then they put the two stones together or they put the eye inside the idol or they pull the mighty lever. And this there's a rumbling. The mighty lever. The mighty lever. <laughs> and the sky opens yeah. and there's a big portal and then anything the screenwriter wants can come out of it. All the rules are off because it's a portal. Yeah. And then there's always a rule on how you close the portal. Mm -hmm. And it's whatever the fucking screenwriter thinks of because he wants to get to dinner. No portals. Portals are a bad idea. I don't feel that strongly about portals. I mean, I don't feel strongly about it. I agree. But no, it's weird that you feel that. You have a hatred for them. I hate them because I think... I think it's a giant crutch 
Yeah, you know, like the tornado in Wizard of Oz is portals before portals will cool. Oh. Well, it is, but it's also, it's all it is essentially is it's the ladder that gets you from one reality to the other. Fine. Yeah. But in the Wizard of Oz, I don't think we'd be watching that and considering it a classic if instead of just picking up Dorothy, the tornado had started spewing out random Here's a Coke machine that's also a lizard. Mm. You know, uh, here's a giant tub of Vaseline that is a god that has snakes for arms. Yeah. Like, just madness. Madness just comes spewing out of these things. Yeah, fuck portals. Yeah. Well, I'm serious. Yeah, portals yeah. are a big... I know people say COVID's a big deal and stuff, and maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> Where is this going? What I'm saying is I think our focus right now should be yeah. on getting portals yeah. taken out of... These movies. Okay. There has yeah, to be a no, no portal podcast. You know the way it says PG 13 or rated R up yeah. front? It mm-hmm. should say NP, no portal. You're taking a brave stand. I salute you. This is courageous. Well, it might yeah. make them think of like a real ending. Yeah, you're changing the world. Yeah. And this guy. You know what? I think it's actually a function uh, on most, you know, laptops now is you can just press like F stop eight. And it just, stop. it, it just, run, stop. It's like a camera turn. Well, what is it then? I don't know. It's just F8. Just F8. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 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 You press F8 on any Apple computer and what's going to happen? A portal scenario just comes up. <laughs> if you're in the screenwriter's mode, they should have a button that they put that's, that just says portal. So that the writer <laughs> of the screenplay is like, uh, and then he just pushes portal. The random generator in yeah. the computer says the sky grows dark. Suddenly a bright flash of light out comes and then it just takes random mm. uh, words, you know, vowels um, and and nouns and slams them all together. And suddenly yeah. here comes the uh, the pink derby. Yeah. It has lizard legs. <laughs> here comes, here so comes the cash register that's made of Belgian chocolate hmm. and uh, it shoots lightning bolts and lasers. Like, whatever. It mm-hmm. just doesn't have to make sense. And any company, anybody is going to be like, yeah, whatever, fuck it. <laughs> Jerk off motion. <laughs> Here comes the portal. And then at the end, oh, they pushed the two random objects together. And there was a mighty love. Yeah, they pushed the two things together and and the portal goes and seals up. Uh And then it's time for Tony Stark to say a smart aleck thing. It's just time for bullshit that makes no sense. (laughs) Well, speaking of that, let's do our podcast. Yeah, some would say my mouth is a portal <laughs> that spews <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done, that Matt. That's good, Matt. I doff my cap to you. We shouldn't dilly or dally. Oh, okay. Terrific guest today. My guest today is a hilarious actor, very funny comedian, writer, who played Richard Splatt, one of the great characters of all time, on the Emmy Award-winning HBO series Veep. Last year, uh, I had the privilege of traveling uh, with this gentleman to Ghana for an episode of Conan Without Borders, which is available right now on HBO Max. Uh, we had an incredible experience. I encourage you to uh, check that out. It really was a wonderful trip and turned out to be a great episode. And I'm eternally uh, grateful to this gentleman. Sam Richardson, welcome. 
I have spent some intense quality time with you. Uh, <laughs> I was uh, a big fan of yours and uh, admirer of yours and clearly such a funny and talented guy. And then uh, you accompanied me on a, uh, on a trip to Ghana, which is uh, where your family's from uh, originally. Yep. You, and you spent some time there growing up, but mostly in Detroit. So you and I went on this yep. trip together and you were hilarious. You were like the second we got on the plane together, um, let's just pretend it was a private plane that we took, <laughs> even oh, though yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> from, the, from the minute the Cone Stream Seven Thousand pulled up, and no, no, we uh, we took uh, we took a bunch of flights to get there. Right, it was two flights, I think. Um, we went two to flights. England, and then we uh, we went straight to Ghana, I believe. Uh, but you were being really hilarious on the plane, like I should have known. But sometimes people are very funny on TV. And then you hang out with them and they're kind of shy. And yeah. it's not like you're a crazy extrovert or anything because you're not, but you're such a good improviser. And that's been such a big part of your training. You were just cracking me up right away. And anything I would lay out there, you would go with it and then advance it. And we were just acting like fools um, moments into the flight, which was really fun, <laughs> which is really fun for yeah. me. And I think annoying to everyone probably around us. <laughs> probably. It was why you probably want the private flight. But it was <laughs> next time. I am going to get a private plane one day. I just have to figure out a way to pay for it. But I'm getting that private plane. But it was really, it was really fun. I mean, like, right off the bat. And like, you know, all like jokes and, and hyperbole aside. Yeah, right. But, you know, like, like truly growing up, you're, you're one of my heroes of comedy. Like I watched your shows from the very beginning. You from know? the moment and of like, your birth, I think. From the moment of my birth, I came out and was like. <laughs> In the year like, 2000. Yeah, I was <laughs> and and like, the first thing I ever saw was that starry moon backdrop. Yep. <laughs> That's crazy. And you're like, Mama! No, no, I'm your mother. That's a late night backdrop. <laughs> you tried to suckle on my late night backdrop. Oh, well, he did. It's I'm true. sorry about that on the plane. I it just there was a level of comfort that I, I wasn't prepared for. Anytime we hit turbulence, you were in my lap uh, trying to get milk from me. And I... And, this, and there was very little. There was very little milk. And you know what? It's not good milk. It's like a strawberry. It's a strawberry quick. <laughs> Comes out of me. What is wrong with you? You know guys? this. It's so great. Oh, no. This this one is broken instantly. Sometimes the interview is. We have to get to a point where it, we're instantly at the point where Sam is sitting on my lap in a turbulent flight yeah. to Ghana, suckling my nipple to get the strawberry quick out. And there's not a lot. And, and it started yeah. so sincere. It really that did. Was yeah. Very yeah. sweet. But you know, we had. I have to say, we had. Uh, it was a fascinating trip, and it is one of my favorite Conan Without Borders episodes that we've ever done and I have so much um, I just had such a lovely time and I loved getting to know you and your family and your family having us over uh, to their house and your your mom putting out more food and I'm this is I am Irish Catholic and I'm one of of six kids and so there were nine people in our house growing up don't ask me about that extra person and uh, <laughs> we're not sure who he was but um, but you know our rule is however much food can be eaten we will put out four times more food than that and then just uh and i think your family outdid my family i've never seen that much food for a relatively small group of people it was also it was it was kind of hostile that's what i want to say it was a hostile act. 
<laughs> yeah, it was a, it was definitely a challenge. Yeah, and they kept bringing out. You'd be like, "Oh my god, that was just fantastic." We are just beginning. <laughs> more, I say, more. It was really amazing. More. <laughs> Fool, prepare yourself. Do it, gorge. <laughs> Does your jaw detach? Uh, I will say one thing about you that I did know because you are. I, I don't want to say mild mannered, but if when someone's a superhero and they kind of want to hide it, I could see you being that person because you're, you know, you're extremely, uh, you're, you're extremely kind and uh, you're, you can be, you're soft spoken. You're not one of those uh, comedy people that needs to, you know, blow up the room when you walk into it or be the center of attention. But one thing I noticed is you partied so hard <laughs> in the, in the, whatever the five days I spent with you. I don't think you slept the entire time we were there. And so it would be the end of a really long day and I'd be like, okay, I'm just going to pass out in my room and you'd say and I'm off <laughs> and then I would see you in the morning and you just like I could see like your eye sockets were were leaking <laughs> uh, not tears the actual fluid that comprises the eye was coming out of your eyeballs you really party I mean that's that's just been my setting for like most of my life anyway my time at Second City in Chicago uh, me and my buddy Tim Robinson we would work six nights a week, you know, eight shows, six nights a week. And every night we would then go to the bar afterwards. Tuesday through Thursday, we'd do from eight till like 11 and then drink from till two and then four because in Chicago you had four o'clock bars. Then Saturday nights, bars were up until five. So we'd go out till five and then Monday would be our day off and we'd just go drink and hang out. Okay. <laughs> now, Sam, in your description, you're acting like... You, uh, you're sort of describing it as if, well, the bars are open till five, therefore we have to stay there till five. Like that is mandated. <laughs> that that is, was our understanding. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know that you don't have to stay. You're like, oh, I'm open till 6 a.m. Well, whew, okay, if you say so. Well, <laughs> if they're so nice and kind to open their doors, yeah. who are we to deny them yes. company? Yeah. <laughs> it is funny. I spent one summer doing comedy in Chicago in 1988 I did a, a show with Robert Smigel and Bob Odenkirk and just yeah. and, and it was this uh, stage show that we did of sketches that we couldn't get on to Saturday Night Live that were really weird that we liked all, all I remember is I was not a drinker but I remembered that all I wanted to do because I was 6'4 I think I weighed 160 pounds and I could eat a cinder block and metabolize it instantly I was constantly <laughs> hungry and so all I wanted to do after we were done with the show is go Go out and eat like four deep dish pizzas. Do you know what I mean? And and uh, and that was encouraged. That's sort of yes. Like you're not allowed to do comedy in the Midwest, especially Chicago, unless you've consumed thirty five thousand calories that day. I mean, you have to. It's like it's it's more than encouraged. It's insisted. Yeah. <laughs> you can get pulled over in Chicago and they have a test to see if you've had how many carbs have you had today? How much sausage have you had? Um, and it's not. And, and if you're not drunk, they take you in. <laughs> take you in. All right, license, registration, pizza receipt. Yeah. <laughs> so what did you use? Because you have this kind of cool. I mean, you're. Uh, I know you're uh, a comic fan, uh, and uh, you have like a cool origin story, which is this 
dual identity of Detroit, Ghana, you're sort of shifting back and forth. You know, first of all, I'd like to know how you figured out that comedy was an option. That always fascinates me because I've met your family and they're lovely people, but I, I, you don't think, oh yes, and, and I think it's the same thing for my family. I don't think people would have uh, necessarily thought show business because when I grew up, that just didn't seem like an option. Did you know that that was an option for you or it was just something that you kind of fell into gradually? Well, it's something I kind of fell into gradually. You know, I, I would go back and forth to and to and from Ghana a lot. So I always felt like I was missing out on something because I, I, I'm essentially I'm an I'm an, I'm not an only child, I'm, but I'm my mother's only child. Right. So I was the only one who had that Ghana experience like that. Yep. So that would mean that I would be traveling. I'd be on my own so much, you know, mm-hmm. or I'd get to when I, when I get to Ghana, then I had my all my cousins and all that. But then yep. I would also be like kind of an outcast because I was like not around as much as everybody else. And it's the same thing in Detroit because like I would be missing the summers and stuff so that's when everybody would like kind of bond and be like oh we had the best summer anyway hey Sam he's our African cousin and in Ghana you know <laughs> here's our American How is cousin Ghana that was Ghana whatever <laughs> you know? but like I sort of like I, I think I learned to entertain myself mm-hmm. and so like I kind of like just would would find things funny and then like kind of internalize them and then just kind of like build on them in my own head like in my own imagination mm-hmm. uh, and then like I w- would watch a lot of TV and a lot of movies and kind of just like like would just absorb those things and like take those things as real life mm-hmm. <laughs> so like mm-hmm. things that were written as comedy dialogue I was like oh that's just how people talk and so like that's kind of like was in my head there uh, and I didn't even consider it like a job sort of thing or something I could actually do until I got into high school. Uh, I, I was a walk on to the football team because like my, my family, my family was going to move to Ghana. Like they were going to move there and my, my parents do everything last minute. So I had no idea they were going to, but then they're like, we're moving to Ghana uh, and you're going to go to boarding school in London. So I was like, Oh, okay. And so I was like gearing up to do that. And then last second, they're like, Nope, actually we're not. Ha ha. So I went to, <laughs> this, sounds, <laughs> this sounds like, I mean, they're, like they're, prank, they're pranking you and they're obviously <laughs> trying to shatter your psyche at a very impressionable age, you know? Yeah. You're going into the Air Force tomorrow. Wait, no, you're not, you know? <laughs> yeah. Made me tough and, and emotionless. Uh, but like last second, they were like, actually, we're not. We're going to, we're, we're staying in Detroit. And I'd taken a, a test to go to a Catholic school called U of D Jesuit. And so I went I found it was an all boys school. I had no idea it was all boys. So I was like super bummed. <laughs> yeah. And then one day, my friend who was a senior when I was a freshman was taking classes at Second City Detroit. So like I went to see his class show and then I did a, uh, they had like a, a, an improv jam where anybody from the audience can get up and like kind of do something. So I got up for like an improv game and I remember they got pointed to me and I had like a, a, a like a punchline and the audience went nuts and like just uh, like a fire inside of me was just like this will consume you for all time. Yes, uh, any addict <clears throat> can describe this feeling because we've, yes. we, those of us in this in this sorry trade of comedy, know it very well. Which is, you get up there and you score, and it is it really is very similar to when I hear addicts say, "Well, I was nine and I found a big you know rock of coke of crack and I ate it, <laughs> and I knew then that this was going to be my life." 
you know, uh, it is the same thing. It is the same thing. Yeah. Um, it's so interesting to me what everyone's got a different way in. There's one thing that happens to them and they, and for you, it's Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters really, you think started it for you? It really did. Cause I, I remember so well, it was because in Ghana, I had this, uh, my, my auntie Letitia had recorded a bunch of TV and movies from London. And so we had like a bunch of tapes, uh, VHS tapes. And one of them was like a recording of Ghostbusters. Now, like a, okay. This is serious bootlegging, right? <laughs> yeah, it was on TV. She's a serious bootlegger. And, and, and when you say it's on TV, was she taping it professionally off the TV and like with using real equipment or was she just aiming like a VHS camera at the TV? <laughs> just a VHS. It was just like a VHS thing. It, that, that would get the video and then she would dub over uh, for the voices <laughs> so you'd have sound as well. <laughs> so you get this bootleg of, of Ghostbusters. Yeah, you know, just like, like with the TV edit like and we and we would just like watch Ghostbusters nonstop. Like I was, there were a few movies that I watched nonstop. It was Ghostbusters, Mary Poppins, and Police Academy. These were like movies I watched <laughs> uh, infinitely. And like the weird thing is, like as a kid, I didn't realize Ghostbusters was a comedy. I just thought it was like this supernatural cool like kind of hero movie you mm-hmm, know because mm-hmm. uh, like my my comedy palette wasn't like developed i just like knew that these people were charming and but then like the the ghosts were cool and that the tools were cool and i just like w- was obsessed with it yeah you know it wasn't like till going back later i was like oh the comedy here is is so good and like like subtle and it be and it, then it like really became my favorite movie like in my early early teens like, right you know have you watched it more than a hundred times Ghostbusters more, oh more than a hundred times if you were watching Ghostbusters would you be able to mouth along with the entire movie yes I would most definitely okay you're right I would arrest most definitely. This is oh a, no this is a sting operation crap here's a sad story that I, I remember so well uh, I just I just oh man I guess I was maybe about Nine. My my parents brought a, a a high school group from Detroit called Spain High School to Ghana. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's like a high school trip. So like they they came and they play. Uh, it was a high school band. So they came and they played in different places in Ghana. And like it was like, it was like a big field trip for them. And there was this one kid who I like just befriended. I was like, ah, I love this guy. He loves to listen to me. So like I would just talk to him nonstop. And I would just always be like, and then Ghostbusters this and Ghostbusters that. And at Universal Studios, there's this Ghostbuster thing. And like Ghostbusters is my favorite movie. And then one day we're on a bus and it was like, enough, man. <laughs> it's so boring. I don't care about Ghostbusters. <laughs> Oh my and God. I was like, oh, oh no. yes, <laughs> I was, I was shocked. <laughs> I was, I was so like heartbroken. And then he was like, oh, oh man, I'm, I'm sorry. I mean, this kid was like 15. You know what I mean? Like he right. wasn't. And to be fair, you weren't nine. You were 27 at the time. I was 27. <laughs> well, I was like 25 and a half. Well, I was still young. <laughs> Not old enough to be yelled at like that. <laughs> even in the even like as a nine-year-old I was like oh that's harsh I was like yeah I did talk about Ghostbusters a lot didn't I it's like I even like was able to realize it because it's like no I only talk about 
No, yeah, no, that's all I've been talking to you about. Right, I'm, I'm going through my mental catalog of what we've discussed, and it's only Ghostbusters. That's, that's it. Including, he admitted to me that his mom had just passed away, and I said, then maybe she'll be a ghost, like in Ghostbusters. Like in Ghostbusters. Well, hope she doesn't get busted. Uh, <laughs> like, oh. And that's when he called you a monster with no soul. You know, um, of course, uh, everybody knows you from Veep and you played this character Richard Splett who is to this day one of my kids. My wife made I think a very dodgy decision. I loved Veep but my wife decided that it was so funny and satirical and about government that our children could watch it and I swear to God I would walk in and she'd be watching it with the kids who at the time were about 11 and 13 or be and there'd be characters often Julia Louis-Dreyfus and other characters saying why don't you get the jizz out of your dick you <laughs> you you know that's just and that's just like they're how they would say pass the butter you know on that show exactly. and I'd be like lies and she'd be like well I know that was a little much, but they loved your character. And your character, uh, uh, Richard Splett, was was safe because he was so sweet and so yeah. and so kind and really funny in a in a uh, in a way that was different. Um, you know, there, you get used to seeing so many different sort of comedic moves, and I thought. Your character, Richard Splett, was very unique, very comedically unique and uh, and and absolutely hilarious. And my kids were like, just adore you. Um, they don't know the real you, thank God. Uh, the monster who parties and parties and drinks and drinks. Um, oh, my, yeah. that is me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. It was funny for a second, wasn't it? Until you realized. It sure was. Where's but, my whiskey? <laughs> I gotta say, everywhere I go, people are talking about Monopoly Go. And for good reason. It's an absolute hit! Yeah. I love Monopoly. People love Monopoly. And look, Monopoly's been around for a very long time. It's one of the oldest board games ever, okay? Okay. But lately, I walk around and I just hear like, Monopoly Go, Monopoly Go, Monopoly Go. And I'm like, hey, what's going on? What are you guys talking about? And they say, we're playing Monopoly Go! You can play it with your family, your friends. It's a straight delight. There's always something new to do. Partner events where you can build on each other's boards and crazy tournaments with team events you can recruit your friends for. Or you can just compete to outdo them all on the leaderboards. Mm. And when you're not messing with your family and friends, Monopoly Go is always throwing new stuff at you. They have taken Monopoly to the next level. I didn't think Monopoly had to go to the next level, but they did. (laughs) There's timed events like massive multipliers for all your winnings and challenges like treasure hunts or money sprees that have fun new mini games. Plus, with tons of rewards to collect, like stickers for trading with friends and hilarious emojis that are perfect for gloating, there's always a reason to dip back in. Yeah. Man, they cracked it, you know? They did. So join the fun. Download Monopoly Go now free on the App Store and Google Play. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. This is unbelievable. I've been talking about this idea for years. I know. I want you to explain it more. I can. Okay. With NetSuite, 
You reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required access from anywhere. I had this idea years ago. (laughs) I was telling people no one listened to me. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems. Remember when I said that? Yeah. Because you've got one unified Unified business business management management suite. suite. You said that. Yeah. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math, man. Yeah. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Backed by popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Conan, netsuite.com slash Conan. I'm going to say it one more time just for emphasis, netsuite.com slash Conan. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all sometimes have issues or things we need to talk about, get off our chest. I have that all the time. Don't you, Sona? I do. Yeah, and we need people to talk to. And we carry around different stressors. We carry big stressors. We carry small stressors. Uh, I was raised in a culture where you're supposed to kind of bottle it up. And I've learned over time that that's not the best thing to do. If you do let things rattle around in there for a while without talking it out, it can affect your life very negatively. Well, therapy is a safe space where you can get things off your chest, figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. BetterHelp's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. A lot of people have a barrier towards getting therapy because they think, well, I don't know. I've got to find the person, talk to them. What if I? it's not a good match? I Then it's awkward. None of that. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Conan today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash Conan. I didn't know this, and I only found this out recently, that your character was brought in, supposedly, they only intended to use you very sparingly, right, for a short, yeah. for a short arc, and then they just, you, you stayed. It was the same thing that happened at Second City, like, your moment came, and you killed it, and then they wanted more and more and more, and then the great uh, ultimate irony is you were in there for a short story arc, and then when the whole season, when the whole series ends, you're the president, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. was fantastic, which was just fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it was only supposed to be for one episode, actually. <clears throat> one episode. It just was supposed to be the first episode of season three. I was just supposed to be there as an annoying uh, replacement for Gary while she was on a book tour in Iowa. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to just be there and just to kind of illustrate how much she kind of needed her team, really. But like, it was just like we had such a good time. And coming into the table reads, they were in Baltimore, and I was like ready to get just kind of like nothing on my jokes at the table read because you know everybody's kind of over like i figured by like season three everybody's like kind of over it and just kind of just going through the motion yeah kind of i got there to table read and like on the very first line everybody's just laughing the whole time everybody's like laughing and having a good time like really enjoying the scripts and i was like oh nobody was like uh just not giving me anything on my lines either so like it was just like a very friendly room Mm -hmm. and then afterwards what with the process used to be that we would put the scripts aside and 
and then we would re-improvise all the scenes to polish out some of the Britishisms mm-hmm. <laughs> because like it was mostly the, the, the writing staff was British so like there was a lot of things that you would probably wouldn't say in the States but are you know, you know like like uh, pass me a shilling gov that'll be in there and we'd have to like lose that wow these sound like <laughs> really a dollar gov these really terrible British writers <laughs> yeah I guess so <laughs> now that you look back <laughs> but there's just some charm about them <laughs> it's just a charm yeah they kept introducing chitty chitty bang bang to the <laughs> Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. What? No. Let's lose that part and make it more about the legislative initiative. <laughs> yeah. But we would re-improvise those scenes. And like, that's where my second city training kind of really came into play. And so I would like just be improvising things, but within those, you know, just like kind of making them realer and like adding things where I thought it was funny. And it, it kind of like worked so well that I, after the first episode, they kind of wrote me into the very next episode. That's great. And then like, kind of just kept on like having me hang out, like maybe we're gonna put you in this episode. And then I, and like, they would fly me out to Baltimore. So I was out, out in Baltimore for like, uh, almost an entire season flying back and forth being like, I think you're going to be in episode five and I'd be there and I'm like, no, actually you're not. So then I would just like hit them <laughs> in this hotel and then go back home. And then they asked me to join the cast the next uh, season. The, the, what I loved about the character was no one ever expected him such low expectations for the character. I mean, it, it's funny because it, it 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 mirrors somewhat your experience on the show is you're just being brought in. No one thinks you're there for very long. You're actually just supposed to be there for one uh, episode. And then like the character who really is just not supposed to rise in this system. Yeah. You know what I mean? He's really yeah. not supposed to rise <laughs> at all. And then, but is, but is his essence is, is pure and he's good. And, uh, and then at the end when Selena Myers has passed away and they're like, you yeah, know, the president and the first lady are laying the wreath at the gym. You, you walk across. And that made me so happy. That was such a, I was so happy with that development. I would, I would like you to be president, you know, not that I don't love our current president. Oh, um, no, he's wonderful. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm just yeah, I unpopular you, opinion. I thought you knew the deal when you came on this podcast. Uh, I am, doesn't mean I have to like it. I, no, you don't have to like it, but this is conservative talk podcast. <laughs> this is what I'm all... I talk a little bit about comedy to, you know, whatever, because that seems to be something people like, but then we get down to what I want and what Sona really believes. Oh, no, 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 no. Don't drag me into this. Thank you. Um, no, but I like that there's a um, edginess is fine, but edginess can sometimes lead towards cynicism and just sort of and 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 my muse has always been a pretty silly muse. And I like it when when things are just funny for funny sake. Uh, and it's no coincidence to me that often when that happens, there's a silliness and sort of a life affirming goofiness to it all. And I, I always sensed you were kind of a kindred spirit in that regard. No, yeah, I typically like I, I like to lean towards optimism in like, and I, I think that there's like so much of comedy is bleak and pessimistic. I, I, I think it can't all be that, you know. Right, and right. even like with Richard, I think kind of the idea of I, I that I took with playing him was that it was this sort of like negative space or like like kind of like a, a yin and yang kind of thing. Like in the, w- w- it, w- with there being no character who's like really 
a good person or good people get like kind of shouted down and like destroyed. They have this character in there who is a good person and like uh, an optimistic person who's also kind of can just shrug off any sort yeah. of attack and not doesn't <laughs> seem to know. Doesn't seem to notice. It really, really doesn't doesn't affect him or bother him. Yeah, you know, or, or like must like oh that's if, if that was meant as a, an insult that would be really insulting. But right. you must but there must have been something <laughs> behind that. that you, must, you know, like, <laughs> were that an insult, my feelings would be hurt. So glad it couldn't possibly be. Do you think you could play? uh, I mean, I'm I'm sure you could. You're very talented. But is there some part of you that would want to play? And if you had the chance, an incredibly evil. I want to play an asshole monster. I feel people think that I am Richard Splett, like the character Richard Splett. Right. So a lot of the things I see, a lot of things I read are like with that tone. And I mean, I appreciate that. And I I certainly love that because the things I love to do are nice people. Mm -hmm. But I am also capable of being a villain and sadistic. And yeah, let's, well, let's get that out there. Nefarious. Let's well, get that out there. I've killed. <laughs> I love to play evil in just my comedic riffs and say yeah. things that are absolutely, I love to, and I've often thought, I think I'm a fundamentally nice person who spends a lot of time trying to convince people that I'm a monster. Yeah. Do, do you, yes. Does that make sense absolutely. to you? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, we, we, we do a whole podcast that surrounds the idea that you're awful. and I never got to, I don't think that's the idea of the podcast. It's, I feel like that's what I'm, I take from it. Really? That you're terrible. Yeah. And awful, oh my, oh my, and then Matt and I ganged up on you. And Never. This is news to me. Yeah. That's what I thought, like, the podcasts, the talk shows, that's what kind of... Yeah. Just your whole career in general. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. All right. I thought it was the in... Little without Borders. I thought... <laughs> Conan goes to take a shit on Ghana. Check it out. He really takes the piss out of Ghana. Uh, what is all this dirt? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is dirt. It's dirt everywhere. You wouldn't wouldn't hear it. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. No, we cut all that stuff out because you know yeah. it didn't test as well as we thought it would. <laughs> my rant against dirt in other countries. Um, yeah. No, but it, it's so much. I always find that I think it's. I don't know. There's something uh, almost very healthy about inhabiting that space of pure evil and in, in a safe way. Do you know what I mean? Yes. It's like, yes. uh, it's why I'm into bondage. It's all safe. Oh. There are control words. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can stop at yeah. any time. So, oh, and please. You can... You've had to buy the equipment for me. Don't act like you didn't know. Oh, yeah. Jesus. That's horrible. What are you talking about? You're always saying, oh, that, that I went to that store. They didn't have it. But then I went to this other store um, and they have, they have the good one, the suit that really zips you so that there's no breathing holes. Uh, the worst. You're making me buy the stuff. That's the worst part of that story. <laughs> That's awful. You have the card for the store. I'm such a frequent customer there. I have oh, I have man. the special the card. card. The store. Yeah, I'm, I'm in the system. They're always like, yes, I'm in the system. Oh, God. Please change, please change the topic. Oh, please. I Never. do not buy you bondage gear. Thank you. Let's well, move no, on. You, it's you borrowed. Bar- oh man <laughs> Sam no. and you know what you really people have said to me you don't want to borrow that stuff trust me you don't want it on loan you know yeah. what I mean you want to be able to I don't see the problem oh. I really don't <laughs> it seems pretty clean oh. so I'm fine oh. <laughs> um, is it true that you performed on cruise ships for a while yes it is 
uh, with Second City again. I have to say it's kind of, um, and not just, um, obviously we're in this COVID era now where cruise ships just seem really chilling uh, and, and untenable. But I always thought performing on a cruise ship would be very problematic because I've heard stories from a good friend of mine who's a stand-up, and he was describing a comedian who did a set on a ship that made the people so angry that he had to stay in his cabin afterwards. And then within two days, the helicopter came and took the comic off the boat. <laughs> like, like, now I don't know. I, I'm just, but I just the the idea of a guy having a really bad set and cutting to an audience and they're very unhappy and staring at him, and then a, a smash cut to <laughs> him being in a harness lifted by a cable in high seas off the, off the boat is one of the funniest things I can imagine and horrifying. And I would think I'm very superstitious about. I never want to see the crowd before I go out. I want them the first time they see me to be when it's I have all these like little weird rules that I follow and I just would think if I'm in the buffet line and people are like oh you're on tonight I'll see you in a little bit but I'm I'm watching you now and judging you for all how much macaroni salad you're taking and I'm (laughs) that would horrify me and then also if it didn't go well I would be horrified to see them did did any of that stuff happen to you or no well so like our life on the ship was kind of like (laughs) our life on the ship (laughs) our life it really became in fact we have the phrase ship life and that's like kind (laughs) of that was like a kind of like general term for living life on a ship so I guess the something to the phrase every week kind of had like a pattern to it. So we would, on Sundays, we would port, uh, new passengers would come on, and everything was a mess, because like everybody was like walking around everywhere. Monday, people were kind of getting their sea legs, but like would kind of like just be chill and in their rooms. So mm-hmm. we, as the as a, as a performers, would kind of like go and eat at the restaurants, you know, drink at the bars, and kind of just like have our anonymity. Right. Tuesday, we would do our show, and we'd do two hour-long shows at 7 and 9, and from that moment on, everybody on the ship knew you, you know, because like, it's like 3,000 people on that ship and everybody say, would see the show because like, what else are you going to do? Right. Uh, so, you, so everybody would see you. And so from that, then on, you couldn't go anywhere without them being like, hey, man, you know? Yep. And like there's like access that people are like, I'm just going to go talk to him at his dinner table. I'm going to sit down. And so you'd kind of like, uh, this it, is my downtime. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it was great for like if you wanted like a, a free drink because we were all very poor. So we were like, somebody like, hey, love that show. We'd buy you a drink. But then you do a couple drinks and then you'd go to the crew bar and kind of like live in the crew bar. And then you'd go uh, and like drink dollar beers and then kind of just hide out. Everything I talk about is about drinking beers. You know, I wasn't going to say anything, but uh, <laughs> this has turned into an intervention. Um, no, all I need sponsorship. <laughs> Every single, it's. I, I don't think there's one story I could get you to tell that doesn't involve uh, drinking. You know, well, there was a well, time no. I went for my cat scan, <laughs> and I was in the, the hospital. Well, yeah, <laughs> the brewery was giving out free cat scans. <laughs> <laughs> so improv is so participatory. I'm just thinking that would be a little bit of an issue too, because. 
there might be <laughs> people that are <laughs> see you the next day and you're sitting there trying to have your turkey sandwich and they're like, hey, I shouted out gynecologist seven times and you didn't take my suggestion, you know? And you're like, um, yep. yeah, no, we, we yep. heard you. We, we just wanted to <laughs> maybe take a less creepy suggestion. Well, I mean, it's funny, you know? I'm going to yell it out. For real, it happens exactly like they like, I said gynecologist. Like, well, we said doctor's office. It's like, no, but I want a gynecologist. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my suggestion. <laughs> it's a gynecologist. <laughs> I've experienced that uh, sometimes in improv, if you had a good, if there was a good end of the scene, and I'm not trying to be ageist here, but I would sometimes notice with older audiences they would think it was like a magic trick. They really did. Yeah. Like if yes. you made something wrong, if they said do this song and you did a song and then you made it rhyme just because, and it wasn't even that good, they'd be like, how? How did he? So is he wearing a wire? And I'm like, no, it's just not that good. Not that yes, good. I rhymed. I asked you what you did and you said that you sold shoes. And then I said, I bet you drink a lot of booze. And you're like, oh, okay, he's wearing a wire. So someone backstage must know that you sell shoes. No, it's not that good. There's no wire. If there was a wire, it would have to be a lot better. <laughs> exactly. Like, I mean, that's, and that's the thing, right? Like a lot of improv, like games and things like that are just like parlor tricks. It really is. Like, as soon as you say shoes, I'm like, shoes, uh, uh, cruise, booze, moose, uh, twos, uh, foos. And then like, and then like, I'm just working backwards and trying to do it within a second to be like, yes. oh, uh, play balls of foos. And then like, I'm out in the audience. Like, yes. How amazing. And I'm like, breathing. and I'm like, how? Oh, <laughs> Witchcraft, sorcery, <laughs> simply undoable. <laughs> You're lucky you weren't killed for being <laughs> some kind of a demon. Uh, but, but like, these are the, po the pocket trips you, you learn. So even like in like actual like scene work, like like long form, you, you like we we use the callback so much. So like you like a little detail, mm -hmm. you like you just put it in your pocket. You're like okay. So like when the scene gets kind of to be its end, I think this is a good enough punch. I'll find a way to bring that back, and then you know kind of like like get there again. And you do it, and an audience is always like. Simply, how, how does he remember this? And yeah. this was written. It must have been written. Also, I mean, they must memorize a hundred scenes, and then the one that matches yes. ours, they're they way overthinking. Themselves. They're way overthinking. I mean, yeah. uh, doing the the uh, late night comedy show for just uh, several decades, and you learn pretty quickly that it's really good to get out on a laugh. And so, if someone says something interesting earlier on and mentions, you know, um, you know, I wear a monocle, and you get a laugh off of it, and there's a good moment there you always stash that in your back pocket and then when you're looking for the for the end of the scene and they're giving you the sign that like you should it's time to go to commercial you'd be like well you know and the person would say something you'd be like i think someone forgot their monocle and the crowd would be like what demonry demonry i say so they must flash some kind of beam into his retina like no i remembered from six minutes ago. <laughs> you said monocle. You said and I thought, well, maybe that'll come handy later on. I'll just hang, keep it around just in case. Oh, I see where it fits. Monocle. 
I think Christ has returned. <laughs> He's a time lord. He simply knew this joke would land, so he mentioned it before because of this. Yes, yes, I figured it out. You're a time traveler who can go to the end of the interview because you already know. M- no, okay, okay, sure. Sure, I'm Jesus the time you traveler. I was going to ask you this. <laughs> it's so funny. I miss you. I mean, I know that we're not, we, it's not like we've hung out that much. We spent an, an, an incredible time together uh, on that great trip, but uh, I love talking to you. I was in a, you know, I was pumped to talk to you today and really glad same that you could same. do this. And, um, you know, I, it's, it's nice. This is one of the things uh, that I've really loved about the podcast is there are people who I want to, I want to connect with them again and have just like a nice long uninterrupted conversation that I can monetize. (laughs) I had you until the end, didn't I? I I made money off you. (laughs) (laughs) Cha-ching. Thank you, Sam Richardson. No, uh, I sold 800 mattresses while we were talking. Uh, I sold some sneakers that come in quarter sizes. Um, (laughs) What are they called? I forget. They're Adams. Oh, okay. Well, let's get those. Okay. Thank you. Nicely done. Yeah. Um, (laughs) No, but, uh, but I really do hope when this, uh, this current time that we're in ends that we can just hang out because uh, you are a joy. You are a joy to talk to. You are a joy to hang out with. You're so talented and uh, really a pleasure. You've, you've added months to my life, not a year, but at least (laughs) easily two months. Oh, great. (laughs) Give me time. I'll take those back. (laughs) <laughs> so that's what's going to happen if we if we do hang out together you'll yeah. get those two months back uh-huh. and then you'll take more so that I die earlier than I would have <laughs> exactly well, and no one will suspect it <laughs> no and until they listen to the podcast which oh, is shit. readily available wherever you get your podcasts <laughs> Um, hey, thank you very much, Sam. That was fantastic. Thank you so much. This was really yeah. fun. I really, I really, really All right, let's, uh, let's hang soon and my best to oh, your family please. by the way my Thank best you. to your family and tell them it was way too much food. <laughs> I will. I'll tell them specifically. It was an, it was an angry, it was an act of anger. <laughs> you will eat a turkey, then you will eat a ham, then you will eat roast beast. <laughs> we want to see your stomach split. <laughs> it looks like, yes, the skin near his stomach is starting to tear. Oh, more. More. Eat this bookcase. Um, all right, Sam, you Take care. Be well, all right? You too. Thank you so much for having me. Sona, where else can you go surfing and skiing the same day, huh? I don't know. Or check out a world-class art museum and then camp at a dark sky sanctuary that night, huh? Yeah. Yeah, where else can you hike through Redwoods and then get a luxury spa treatment? Where? Well, you live there. California. (laughs) California, Sona. No matter where California. you go across the state, you'll find a way to play. I'm a California resident. So are you. Sona, you are a lifelong California resident. I'm a lifer. I love this place. This is a beautiful state. Gorgeous. So many different, wonderful ecosystems in one state. You can hang out by a Palm Springs pool. You know, you can go whale watching. You can go hiking in Yosemite. And then uh, talk about the great cities in California. You get all this amazing food, sushi, whatever you want. They got it in California. Hey, if you can't find it in California, man, you got a problem. Yeah. 
I shouldn't have done that. I made that up on my own. Anyway, I love California. Discover why California is the ultimate playground. Head to visitcalifornia.com to start planning your trip today. Come on. If most people are being honest, no one really knows what you do for work, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, especially if you're in a, what I like to call B2B. Oh, you know? what is that? I'll explain. Okay. That's a business doing business with other businesses. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I call it B2B. It's a little thing. It's also, uh, it's a boy band I'm working on. <laughs> anyway, fortunately, LinkedIn has a network of professionals who get what you do, and you can reach the right people who matter most to your company because they're LinkedIn. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. LinkedIn has over, this is the fun part to say, one billion members. Are you serious? Yeah. That's not that's more people than are on Earth because there are people on the moon using it and Saturn. <laughs> that's one over one billion members on its platform, including 70 million decision makers. God, I'd like to meet a decision maker. Since LinkedIn members are regularly updating their work history, you can precisely build a target audience by job title, industry, company, and more. Man, you can reach the right people for your, I'm going to say it again, B2B business with LinkedIn ads. Yeah. Gets even better because LinkedIn will give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Hmm. There you go. Just go to linkedin.com slash Team Coco to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash Team Coco. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. On a past podcast, you mentioned how you met James Lipton's wife and he showed you, a, I believe, a naked painting of her. Well, first of all, let's clean up your story a little bit. You act like he walked around <laughs> with a rolled up painting in his back pocket of his nude wife, which is which is really creepy. No, uh, James Lipton, uh, of course, dean of the Actors Studio mm -hmm. uh, and a TV personality and, and a wonderful guy in, in many ways. He... Did a lot of bits on our show over the years and uh, was always fantastic and had me on his show. I went to dinner with him one night at Elaine's, the fabled restaurant. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I'm just going to recap quickly, but he he gestured, do you see that painting behind me? And he, I knew that his his wife was dining with us and her name is Katakai. And I looked up and there was a painting of this woman who was clearly the woman who was eating dinner with us. Oh my God. His wife, Katakai, <laughs> yeah. naked. And it was hanging on the wall <laughs> behind him. And he took a big bite of steak and said, Katakai, <laughs> as God made her. And I, it's not that different than what you were saying because he clearly brought you to that table for that he reason. He brought everybody. Yeah. I think when he yeah. took an Uber, he would say, take me to Elaine's. And then he would say to the Uber driver, and come with me and sit across <laughs> from me at this table. And then ask me about that painting behind me so I can say, Katakai, as God made her. That's the story. Yeah. Then we've continually referenced that because you've wanted people to come up to you on the street and just yell, Katakai, as God made her yes. to you. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. And so since that has been mentioned on this podcast, a lovely listener named Margie Onder mentioned that she and her husband have been saying this to each other nonstop. Then they put their small child to sleep and got some interesting footage on the nanny cam. And I'm going to share my screen right okay. now. And something interesting seemed to be coming from the small child. Sleeping or not sleeping? I'm not sure, but here it is. Oh, <laughs> 
Oh, that's this little kid who looks to be oh my god, what, like a year and a half old, going. Oh, yes, it's hard to tell because it's just rolling under tell. blankets. Yeah, he's covered in blankets. I'm, I'm guessing it's a boy. I don't. Know. I don't know. Is, is it? Does I don't it, know. Boy or girl? It's a boy or girl? You know what? It all has a like a paranormal activity. Yeah, look exactly. Because it's, it's night got that weird paranormal activity night vision thing, <laughs> and it's you just see some a form rolling around underneath some covers, going. No. Yes, I love it. I love I love ruining a young person's brain. So young. I've got to add something to that, which is please take a lot of walks now as we all do during uh you know this this pandemic. It's just my way of blowing off steam. And I was taking a walk and I sort of walk really quickly. And I was walking in my neighborhood and I was walking in a part of my neighborhood where I never walk. And I'm down this part and all of a sudden I just see a gentleman, I want to say maybe in his 30s and 40s. And then his father, who was maybe in his, uh, I don't know, he looked like an older gentleman. And then a little kid. And I passed them and suddenly this guy turned around and said, Katakai! And God made her and I was like, Yes! And and the little boy was like, yeah, Katakai, it's God made her. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> finally. Yes, finally. And uh, I think, if I'm remembering it correctly, I hope I get this right. It's a gentleman who seemed to be from the United Kingdom. He he had a British accent and his name was James. Or I don't know if the, it was James and Poppy. Oh, he said, just wow. say that. I said, who are you guys? And they said, James and Poppy. And I'm like, I'll, I'll, okay, got it. And I I... I didn't have a pen uh, or paper, so I took out a pen knife and carved that into my arm so that I wouldn't forget it. And it got very badly infected. And um, yeah, so anyway, that was stupid. I shouldn't have done that. That was stupid. But I didn't want to forget James and Poppy. But yeah, it was so thrilling. And I'm telling you, when I say this, I mean it. If I'm walking around and you shout out to me, Katakai, as God made her. What you're doing for me is giving me another year of life. I believe it's that powerful for me. So stop doing it. What a horrible thing to say. Now we got to figure out what's the phrase that will take a year of life away from me. That's the one. I'm joking. You know know who's going to like that joke? Your mother. She does not like it. it. I know. Son, son, what? What would she say? Do it in her accent. Uh, No, she's just like, Sona, stop calling him a dickhead. Like, stop calling him a dickhead. (laughs) Because your mom really likes me. Loves you. Why is she taking his side and not your side? I don't know. She actually said once that you rock USA. I have no idea why she likes you. First time I met Sona's mom, She's Sona. It was when Sona was just working for me, and you introduced me to her mother, and she went, Oh, Conan, you rock USA. Um, I know. I didn't yeah. mean it. I, and then I had her deported. Oh, God. Well, well, okay, now I do it. mean it. I now I'm going back to it. meaning it. No, yeah. I, I felt bad. I, I wasn't successful. I, I filled out the paperwork and I tried to you have it. You went through so much trouble. It took me several months and, and it got I'm tied gonna, up in the courts and it well, didn't I'm gonna work. I'm going to tell her you did that. Well, anyway. All right. If you want to give Conan a year of life, yell Katakai's God made her. If you want to take away a year, just say you rock USA. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good system now. <laughs> that works. Yes, yeah. that's the new system. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, Let's see and we'll we see. We'll, where we, yeah, my, maybe I'll get 50-50 and I'll just uh, <laughs> stay on track to pass away quietly at 65. Um, <laughs> oh my God. It's my people. We're just made of crud. Uh, oh, I want to quickly mention something. Uh, it's important that you listen to the next episode of Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend because we're doing something a little unusual, bit of a contest, but I think it's going to be fun. Mm. And uh, yes, this is, it's long been my dream 
to sort of become a Willy Wonka type figure. Uh-huh. You mean a weird recluse just living in a castle? <laughs> well, achieved. Check. Okay. Got that part. And I do manufacture tons of chocolate. Um, Matt and I are oh. your Oompa Loompas. Yes. I know. I was thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You guys are, whenever we make the podcast, you guys go come in and go Oompa Loompa. A loompa. Oompa doo. Let's. Magusha. <laughs> <laughs> we set up the audio equipment. A shout out to State Farm and Fracture. Okay. Anyway, um, my point is uh, j- just check it out. Listen for the next episode. And I won't say much more than that, but uh, please help me realize my dream of becoming um, a Willy Wonka that's stranger and even more disturbing than the actual Willy Wonka. Mm-hmm. Conan O'Brien needs a friend with Sonam Obsessian and Conan O'Brien as himself. Produced by me, Matt Gorley. Executive produced by Adam Sachs and Jeff Ross at Team Coco and Colin Anderson and Chris Bannon at Earwolf. Theme song by The White Stripes. Incidental music by Jimmy Vivino. Our supervising producer is Aaron Blair and our associate talent producer is Jennifer Samples. The show is engineered by Will Beckton. You can rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and you might find your review featured on a future episode. Got a question for Conan? Call the Team Coco hotline at 323-451-2821 and leave a message. It too could be featured on a future episode. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. This has been a Team Coco production in association with Earwolf. doesn't love a classic chocolate chip cookie. Famous Amos has been making them since the 70s, 1975 to be exact. With semi-sweet chocolate chips and a satisfying crunch, it's everything classic in one bite-sized cookie. And fans couldn't get enough. That's right. You'll find our original recipe, the one you know and love, in every bag of Famous Amos original chocolate chip cookies. Find Famous Amos anywhere you buy your favorite snacks. Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend is sponsored by ADT. Now ADT professionally installs Google Nest products so your home is safe and smart. Google Nest cams can tell the difference between a person, an animal, and a vehicle. Mm. Or with Nest Doorbell, even a package. I can't tell the difference between those things. That's incredible. (laughs) And with Nest Aware as part of your monthly ADT service, you get 30 days of event video history. Plus, when every second counts, you can trust ADT's 24-7 professional monitoring. Go to ADT.com today or call one 800 adt ASAP. Google, Nest Cam, Nest Doorbell, and Nest Aware are trademarks of Google LLC.